thank you so much for everything that you have done. God, we come before you now asking that you open our hearts, open our minds to see the work of your hand upon our life. To see your glory and grace working within us and around us. That we may then be convicted of our sins and lay them down, running from our idols, running from selfishness or or pride or whatever it may be, knowing that we are not worthy and yet you love us anyway. So we can cling to the cross with empty hands of faith, to trust in you, to have you just fill us with hope, love, and peace so that we can live consistently before you. Lord, bless all those other churches and and, and the, the Christians around the world meeting in whatever capacity. May we just together unite under the name of Jesus, especially during this season, to say that you, you are above all. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this, the, the gospel here is, that we have is an extraordinary message. It really is, especially even during Christmas, right? Because it reveals and it declares very bluntly that the holy, righteous, all good God who is the creator and the sustainer of everything, who is in need of absolutely nothing, who has no beginning and has no end, but has always existed, who is all-powerful and all-knowing and absolutely perfect, this awesome, infinite God has a deep love for sinners. He has a love for evil, wretched, nasty, perverted, racist, selfish, hateful, greedy people who, love, who live their lives in rejection and mockery of him. The gospel boldly shows us that God has a heart for sinners who have no heart for him. And where is the proof? Jesus Christ, his son, God out of love for sinners such as you and I, sinners because we chose to go against his laws and chose to follow after our own ways rather than his and sin against him willfully. God, out of his unconditional love, came running after us as we were running away from him towards our destruction. He lovingly pursued us through sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth on a mission to save us so we could be with him forever as his adopted children, to be loved by him, and that his great power and might might be displayed with his glory and grace by bending this world then to only work in our favor before him through faith in his son Jesus. Or put differently, when we had nothing to give God, and in fact, more to the case, we wanted to give nothing to God, God in return gave us his very best, Jesus Christ simply because he loves sinners. He loved us even though we had no love for him. He graciously gave his son to live the life we could not live, the perfect life that kept all the laws, whether by deed, emotion, thoughts, words. He did it all with no sin on our behalf. The law that was demanded on us to keep, but we didn't want to and we couldn't. Christ kept it for us. He then died the death that we deserve, the wrath that was upon our heads because of our sin against God, because of our repeated offenses towards God, breaking his law knowingly or even unknowingly. The debt that we owe to God because of our sin 
Christ, out of love, paid it in our place. Even though he was innocent and he was sinless, out of love for us, he kept the laws of God perfectly and willingly gave himself up to be treated as the sinner in our place, to be the sacrifice on our behalf and have God's righteous hammer of fury and wrath come against him upon the cross rather than us. He then came back to life to give what we could not earn, this restoration and peace with God to be forgiven for all of our sins, to be his beloved children forever. All of this and more was done because God loved us. God loves sinners. And all of this now then is ours by faith alone in Jesus. The message of the gospel is good news. See, and that's the message that brings us true freedom from this world of sin and death and freedom from ourselves. It frees us because now through faith in Christ, we have everything we need because Christ, in him, he is our everything and everything is given to us. The gospel reveals that Christ is our everything by faith in him now as we live in this world. So now, because of Christ, we can begin to see more and more through the world's lies, through its deceptions, through its false expectations, and through its false promises. Its burden of stringing us along to be buried in its deception that we have to become stronger and smarter and amount to something amount to something great in order to have any self-meaning or any self-worth or purpose, that we must carry this monstrous burden of trying to make up for our sins and our past failures and our past mistakes, that in order, to, in order for life to have meaning, you must, you must establish it, that you must go out and get it, you must go out and obtain it, you have to take, you have to become something, otherwise you're worthless and pointless, you're just wasting your life. We have been freed from being blinded by this false idea that life is all about you in the end. Where you end where, and this is what makes us become control freaks with others. Even if we don't let them see it, we're doing it. Because we end up seeing others as a way of enabling ourselves to have a sense of worth. And to live in this facade of trying to make this perfect life for ourselves. That we'll never be able to get because the world will never give you contentment. For, your, for sin will never make good on that promise. Sin always says there's something more for you to get for yourself. So you got to go out and take it. You can't be content. So any investment that you do in the end is really about you vainly, vainly trying to fulfill that contentment, contentment in life that sin can never give you. But praise be to God, Christ has freed us from that, from that blinded view. By faith alone in Christ, the very citadel of our souls has been changed. The outlook on life now is anew, and it's no longer the same. For our purpose in this life now has been changed to something eternal, something heavenly, and not worldly in any sense of the word. For our minds and our, and our hearts are now working from the true life, the eternal life that we now have in Christ by faith in him. We are now living from freedom and from the rescue and from a new beginning and from the cleansing and from justification and from peace and joy and hope and love. 
and from grace. So to be very practical then with what this means, it means that whatever happens in our lives is really of no ultimate concern for us. For our ultimate concern is now that God be glorified with our lives. That his grace, his majesty, his power, his love will shine through us in all that we are. For by faith in Christ, we now see our lives are in his hands. Our lives are being directed in his great story of redemption. We have been freed from ourselves, freed and freed to looking to him alone to begin to say, Lord, do as you will. Lord, have your way with me. My, have, have your way with my life so that your glory will be magnified and that I might know and experience more and more of your love for me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Use this broken tool to accomplish your glory and plant your eternal kingdom for your gracious love is enough for me. See, as we believe upon Christ and his finished works upon our behalf, as we look to this glorious gospel, we begin by faith to realize more and more how our lives are not about us ultimately. Our lives are not ultimately about us gaining more for ourselves. It's not ultimately about us even maintaining or establishing ourselves ultimately anymore. For Christ has done all of it for us through faith in him alone. And life's about him and his glory and now instead of ours. So we have been freed then from the power of sin in our life, which makes life all about you. Really focuses on that I in the word sin. We have been freed to and given the privilege now to just give ourselves away ultimately for the betterment of others in our life. For all we need now is found in Christ. Our identity is found in him and not in our achievements or in our failures. What defines who we are is not based in our circumstances or in our capabilities. What makes you, you, is not found in what, in what you can do or can't do. No, it's all found in Jesus. For he now creates, makes, gives, and empowers us and defines us all through faith in him. And on the most basic level then, that means we can live free from the worry of failure in this life. Free from the worry of messing things up. Free from the worry of losing in this world and live free from the fear of rejection. Why? Because we believe the gospel and we know that Christ will and has covered our life, our whole life, all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our inconsistencies and losses and fumbles and even our vain achievements, all of it by his blood. And he is working it all now for our good in him so we can just keep our eyes on him knowing he will empower us to obey him and follow his ways by his strength alone, to his glory alone, by faith alone in him. For we know in the end, it will all end up okay because our end is with him. And it is that message that changes us from the inside out to live as free people in the world 
in whatever situation we're in. And it's that message that Paul has been going over and over and over in our book of Ephesians. And our title today then is How to Live from the Freedom You Have in Jesus. Paul has recently, in chapter 6, has been revealing what a life that is freed by the gospel message looks like. He's been specifically focusing on what it looks like in our relationships with the people around us. How to live as a free people amongst each other. And let me tell you, today's passage is basically the apex of revealing of how to live as a free person in the Lord. And he's going to, because Paul is going to deal with a very, very, very hard subject, a heartbreaking one. He's going to speak of the master and slave relationship. It says bondservant. It just means slave. And this passage reveals how truly opposite the gospel message is towards the world's ways and how the gospel freedom is true freedom and it's nothing like the world's. Now, a few things must be stated here. First, understand slavery is sin. Okay, no ands, ifs, buts about it. And Paul here in this passage is not approving slavery. In fact, Paul never approves of slavery. And the Bible overall never approves of slavery. It condemns slavery as a whole. First, you can look at it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. It gives a list of sins. Some translations have kidnappers in that list, but the more direct translation and more modern translation of the word there, to know more accurately what the Greek is, is enslavers or slave traders. The whole slave industry is sinful and condemned from the Bible. The whole concept of slavery is condemned, and in fact, the Bible never, in fact, the Bible encourages people not to go into slavery. And if they can, to seek their freedom. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says, But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a slave of Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. But here's the thing. Unlike today, slavery was a worldwide thing during the biblical times. A very common way of life that was normalized by its system of government. In fact, when this letter was written, most of all the jobs in the Roman Empire, which Ephesus was located, was done by slaves and not by free men. Free men did not work, really. It was the slaves that worked, and they were considered and treated as property of the free man. So back then, even though some slaves had high position jobs, like some of them were doctors and some of them were architects, it was was still slavery. They were still slaves and looked upon just as tools and treated horribly. They were owned like cattle, and their masters, oh, by their masters, and their masters could do whatever they saw fit to their slave. They were just tools. It was real, really horrible and sinful stuff. But this was worldwide at the time. So how do you change the world's evil, sinful, political, and social system? 
How do you overcome it? You look to the one who beat this world through the most uncommon way and through what the world considers foolish and stupid, the cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel. You look to the power of the gospel. You give the world the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish true change by God changing the hearts of men. So with all that in mind, what you have here then in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, is not Paul approving of slavery, but dealing in the situa- with the situation currently, dealing with those who are in it, and how then they should live in it currently as Christians before God. So really, Paul then is rejecting the system of slavery by revealing the gospel consequences that happen in such a horrible relationship. And he does this by the power of the gospel in their lives and not as a direct activist or in any political way that would end up mixing gospel and politics together that would give any excuse or reason not to see the gospel alone as the power of salvation that brings real change, real healing, and a a new creation to anyone who believes. Paul makes sure that the gospel is pure. Now, one other thing must be stated here. Though this, though in a very direct sense, this passage is not geared towards us because none of us here are slaves or masters by the grace of God. But understand, there is still slavery in the world. All the way from trafficking to manual labor like bricklaying that happens in foreign countries that goes on, sadly. That just happens from generation to generation. So understand the Bible, even though we look at it like slavery, what's that? Understand the Bible is still very relevant today. And there are millions of slaves in the world that we just don't even realize. Look it up. So this Bible is still very relevant to today's world, even with this passage that we don't find necessarily relevant to ourselves. So the immediate question, though, right, ultimately coming back, is how does this passage then deal with you and me directly? How are we supposed to look at such a passage in our own life where we're not slaves at all or masters at all, but free people in our social context of life? So I think there's two ways then that we can approach this passage that will respect what's being stated here and not just frivolously look over it. That will be stated here in principle that we will be able then to take and apply to our lives because all scripture has application to us. As seeming irrelevant as it may be, it does apply. So when we first look then at the verses 5 through 8, We can read this passage as Paul showing us what freedom looks like then when you and I have no power and no authority in some horrible relationship in your life. When someone else has all the power and authority over you in whatever context that is and it's just a bad situation. It stinks, you hate it, and you can't really get out of it. 
Or maybe you can't get out of it at all because of whatever it is in your life. What do you do? How are you called to live from the freedom you have in Christ? Well, Paul speaks of, speaks of it then, and he talks for now to the slaves who are in their horrible position and relationship in life. He says in verse 5, in verse 5, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would with Christ. And this brings us then to our first point. How to live from the freedom you have in, in Jesus. You serve those who do not deserve it. Paul here, right off the bat, says, Slaves, in regards to your masters, obey them. Meaning, carry out their orders. Do whatever is asked of you. Do it in a way that shows respect and honor towards them in fear and trembling. Meaning, your body language, your words, your tone of voice is one to reveal respect and honor so it can be seen and heard from those above you. Why? Because you want to do it. Paul says, with a sincere heart. Meaning what you do is done with integrity and uprightness with them who are over you. Those who do not deserve it at all. Though they are cruel and though they are wicked, you serve them. Serve them and obey them as you would Christ. Meaning, see it as your way of actually serving and following after Christ in your position in life. For the, for the very person over you is only earthly. He says, earthly masters. And you have a better and true master who has served you by his life. And says, follow me. His name's Jesus. So to follow after him. The one who said in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 29. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak... Do not withhold your tunic either. Paul then says, follow him in those situations of life. And to press this even more of how truly then free they are from the world and from self, to do this with a sincere heart, he says in verse, verses 6 and 7, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Paul here says you need not to live in a fakeness or a hypocrisy in blessing your earthly masters through your service to them as to the Lord. For you can just serve them because it is good to serve them for their own good and don't try to secretly gain anything from them to get them off your back. For you have nothing to gain from them. You need nothing from them. You don't, don't live as, as 
an eye service. Don't live as a people pleaser, but rather live from the true life you have in Christ and live by his power and strength. Look to him as your everything. Remember him, that in him you have everything already and in him alone is where you will find your everything because you are a bondservant or really a slave of Christ. Meaning the way you live and what happens to you is dictated by him and directed by him and not by the man in front of you. Because, but it's all directed by the God-man, Jesus Christ, who loves you as his own. He gave up his life for you by his blood And now he is working all things for your good in him, no matter what it is. Because he has beaten this world through his suffering for you. You serve then the undeserving and give it your all. Because of the gratitude towards God now. And a desire to want to follow after his ways in your interaction with people. For his ways are freedom, which includes serving the evil ones. We are to serve because of what he has done for you. You who was the evil one towards him. And yet he still served you with his life to free you from the power of sin and free you from the power of the world. So when Paul says rendering with service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, what he means is that the reason why we benefit people and invest in people, even the ones who hurt us, cause us pain, who are evil and nasty to us and use their authority and power to crush us. We serve them because it brings glory to our God and reveals how great He is and how His grace is enough for us and He has conquered the world, even the very man in front of us. For our lives is not our own anymore. We are His and His ways are now ours. His wants are now our wants. His values are now our values. For we are now His slaves And we are slaves to his ways because they are freedom. Christ has said in Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 through 47. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes His son, mean S-U-N, not S-O-N, S-U-N. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet... If you greet, I mean, greet, hello. If you greet with a smile, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Paul then in verse 8 says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. 
Paul here uplifts the Christian slave, uplifts all of us who are in lowly positions and says, look, you are not doing menial tasks as you obey in honor of the Lord through your service to those who are over you, even those who are evil. But rather, you are on the same level as them. You are a free man before the Lord, and the Lord does not deal with men on their social status in his kingdom. No, he deals with all men who have faith in Christ as his beloved children who serve him in whatever position they happen to be in this life. For all Christians are charged with the same charge no matter what's going on in their life. As Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Or Psalm 37 that says in verse 3, verse 8, verse 27, and verse 34. I love that psalm. Read it. It says, Trust in the Lord. And do good. Befriend faithfulness. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Turn away from evil and do good. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. Paul says all the good things we do in the Lord will be gracefully rewarded us. Irrelevant of our position in this life. Which is really crazy to think on. For what good can we bring him that is not tainted by sin that he should reward. Nothing. But yet God will graciously reward us. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus' perfect performance on our behalf through faith in him. Or put differently, even with our petty, incomplete works of deeds, no matter how small or how big, that flow out of faith, they will be rewarded because Christ has already laid out those deeds for us to do and has obtained the blessing for us, as Paul has stated in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 10. For it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. And God graciously rewards us for those very works, even the, work, the very works that he has prepared already for us. So all those good deeds that you end up doing by faith in Christ, Christ has earned and achieved the rewards for you. And God gracefully gives them to you even though you, in and of yourself, do them imperfectly. But because of Christ's perfection before you and his works on your behalf, which covers everything, you get rewarded anyways. He did the work and you get the reward. God's grace is amazing, for he is so gracious to us, even when we don't deserve it, he gives it anyways. Paul says, here, look, God sees you, he knows you, and he will reward you for your good deeds that are done in his name, even though you do not deserve them and don't even do them perfectly, but mess up and fumble along the way. God, out out of his grace, through faith in Christ, he will reward you anyway because he loves you. He loves you, he loves you. And he has promised to give you nothing but good. So in summary of how to live as a free person in a horrible situation, Paul says here that we are to serve with all your might those around you to the glory and for the glory of God, revealing to all how his grace is enough for you and is enough for those around you because his grace has covered your sins and by his grace you can look over the sins towards you, especially by those who are evil, by willingly uplifting them for their betterment at your expense. For Christ is enough because you live from his freedom, not for freedom, and you are free in him already. Then Paul turns And gives one verse to the masters. And this one verse just flips everything upside down. 
to what the master would expect in relation to his slave. But then again, that's what the gospel does. It just flips our world upside down. And this brings us to our second point, and it is our last point, and we're coming to an end. It brings us to our second approach then, as we look at verse 9, right? Two approaches, this is the second approach when you look at verse 9. We approach verse 9 as how to live as a free person when you do have the power and authority in the relationship and the other person has none. Paul says in verse 9, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. And this brings us to our last point of how to live then from the freedom you have in Jesus. You serve those who cannot earn it. That cannot earn it from you. It is, those, it is then this, those first few words that break down, in verse 9, that break down this wretched relationship between slave and master. He says, masters, you are to do the same just as what I just told your slaves. You are to serve them for their betterment at your own expense. You are to respect them with fear and trembling. You are to bless them with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Not for yourself, but for God. You are to uplift your servants so they can prosper in this life, seeking out their good at your expense, doing your best to bless them because you are doing it for God's glory and not your own. For he has blessed you with his son's life from hell itself to only experience his love towards you. So stop threatening them with anything. Stop saying you will take away things from them or cause them harm, but rather just give to them and serve them and bless them as your master who is in heaven has served you and now blesses you in them. The master who gave up his life for you out of love for you, to better you, to uplift you, to bless you, to comfort you, to give you peace, to give you hope, who fought for your honor and is now molding the world to work out in your betterment in him. Not because you deserve it or even could give him anything in return, but simply because he loved you. You who have the authority and power, understand the one who is truly in power and authority. Understand that he uses it all now to benefit you and him as a Christian. These masters are Christians. Even though you could never earn it from him, never earn him to serve you. You could never earn his service. For you are a sinful, wretched man who can bring nothing to him. And yet, this perfect God, he came down to you to serve you with his power and authority, all out of his love and grace for you. So to put simply, let your relationship with your slave be one of grace as the grace that has been shown you. For your master in heaven, he's telling them, as it says in Matthew 20, verses 25, has stated this, but Jesus called to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So overall then, as we come here now to the end, this text in Ephesians is a really hard passage to deal with because it's such a horrible subject. I mean, even I question us, why not just say, masters, let the slaves go free? Why not just say, slaves, walk away peacefully? Why not and say, church, take care of the slaves that walked away? But that is not what God wanted at the time. I mean, God has stated in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For he knows what is best and the best way to deal with sinful men. And really, that is the struggle for us all as we live by faith in Christ in our own personal circumstances to believe he knows what's best for you and I in the situation that we are in. That his ways are the way to live as a free person. And we don't have to go out and get freedom, but we have it in Jesus. To believe that by and through him, we are now enabled to live freely by serving the very people who are trying to keep us in bondage or hurt us and, or, and don't deserve our time, rather than fighting them. That is truly backwards to what the world will tell you. But that is the extraordinary thing about the gospel. It frees us from being obsessed with self. And when we look at those two approaches then in this text on how to live freely without power and authority or with power and authority, we do it by serving people according to the Lord. And that's what brings freedom to our life. But if we're honest, we know that if left to ourselves, we're doomed to fulfill these laws. But who can live in such a way? Because I know personally, I don't have that much love in my heart to do that. Especially with those who are cruel to me. This passage just crushes me. And it's meant to crush us in so many different levels. Crushes us of just simply understanding it. And crushes us in living out those principles in our life. It's too much to bear. It really is. You can fake it, but it, you can't do it on your own. But praise be to God, there was one who did it for us. And his name is Jesus. So by faith then we run to him with all of our sins and failures and doubts and lovelessness and inconsistencies that this passage reveals about our own relationships in our life. Wherever you are, if you have the authority or if you don't. So that we can rest then in Christ's finished works on our behalf. So that we can grow smaller and weaker and more feeble to become less reliant upon ourselves and our own ways. Or as John says, he must increase and I must decrease. We come to him with empty hands of faith to just empty hands of faith just to rest in Jesus so he can do all the work within us that he has accomplished for us so that we can live from a life that glorifies him by revealing it's only because of him and by him that we can live out these freeing commands over us even as imperfect as we are and through the imperfection of us serving those around us. So our so our life of freedom then is simply put is following after the Lord and his ways through faith in Jesus, resting in him, relying upon him alone in whatever context we are to enable us to serve those around us 
for his glory despite, despite our circumstances. And even if we fail, which we will, we can still rest in knowing in Christ, as Psalm 37, 23-24 says, Though the steps of man are established by the Lord, when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. For our God will always bless us, even in our feeble and inconsistent attempts, not because of anything we are doing, but because of what has been done in Jesus for us through, through faith in him. So I'll leave you with this quote that kind of just summarizes what we went over here today. From living from freedom we have in Christ. This one person said, As Christians live out their calling in obedience to God, even within unjust social structures, they are subverting the status quo and opening a new way of thinking. And church, that new way of thinking is the gospel, for it is truly finished in Christ over us by faith in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to pray with one of the deacons, they'll be up here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage. Lord, it is hard to read. It is hard to understand. It is hard, it is hard to look at. But God, we know your ways are above our own. And that you did something that we would never do. You gave up your son for us because you loved us. And he became our servant and washed our feet and uplifted us when we were nothing. And you gave us something to be something, to be your children through your service to us. Oh God, I pray that we could take that attitude as we leave here and serve those, Lord, who hate us and love those who we do not love and repent from looking down on those who we do not like or we think little of. Help us, Lord, to rest and know that you love us. You've loved us the whole time and love us anyways, even though we may fall into those things. You still love us and you will empower us to glorify you. Lord, and if someone doesn't know you here today, I pray they come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.